Good afternoon, universe. Welcome to another episode of Cross Defense, your weekly dose of worldview demolition, breaking down the stronghold bad opinions of the enemy and setting up shop with the mighty fortress of our Lord's Word. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk, joining you on this lifelong journey to understand who our God is by means of his word and believing that that word is so powerful that when he speaks it to us, we can speak it back and it doesn't change a thing. Indeed, it is doctrine, divine, eternal truth, something that you can have, hold, and repeat. I'll also take to the bank on that day of judgment, which this Advent season we are remembering is coming very, very soon. St. Paul tells us, hunger for this truth, watch this life and doctrine closely. Because the time is coming when people will not put up with sound teaching. Instead, to suit their own desires, their own passions, their own will, their own opinions. They're going to gather together teachers who'll tell them whatever their itching ears would rather hear. But you, Christian, you find and hold this trustworthy message as you have been taught and so encourage others. To help us do this today by looking at the dogmatic textbook of the modern Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics, we have on the line regular guests, Pastor Samuel Bobby. He is pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Aberdeen, South Dakota, and Pastor Adam Filipek. He is pastor at Holy Cross Lutheran Church and Emmanuel Lutheran Church. They are both in Lidgerwood, South Dakota. It is a South Dakota show today, picking up in Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics, Volume 1, page 59, where last time, gentlemen, we left off with this distinction between divine teaching, divine doctrine, words that we know that are truly from God— And the modern world and modern scholars and modern Lutherans increasingly saying, yeah, well, maybe. Such things aren't quite possible. Uh, This objective idea, this this certainty that you have, uh, that might be a bit extreme. But where we looked at again last week uh, pretty intensely was, well, people just says, look, it says this in the scriptures. It says this in the scriptures. It says this in the scriptures. We should trust these things to be true. Today, he's going to give us a little more of the argument of the adversary and some of some of the way that they respond to him. So with that just thrown out there, though, you know, why don't you each just take a moment, uh, we'll, we'll start with you, Pastor Philippek, and, and talk about, you know, can we, should we, must we, need we believe in divine doctrine, or or should we instead believe that, uh, you know, doctrine, the Bible, that's all good, but you got to take it with a grain of salt after all. What do you think, Pastor Philippek? Without taking it as the divine word itself, without taking it as something that is in and of itself objectively true, we're only left with opinions. And if we're only left with opinions and opinions of man, then there is no such thing that can ever be known certainly in this life at all. You have no certainty. You destroy confidence. You undermine the faith. And you'll always be left wondering at the end of the day, not only just is this real, but if even if you're a Christian, where will I be? Your salvation is in jeopardy. Hmm. Pastor Bobby, you got anything to say on that? Well, yeah, I think it's it's kind of always interesting. You know, they divide, they deny the divine teaching, and they say, okay, there can't be something that is objective that it applies to everybody that that comes from outside ourselves. But then that's the very thing they want to do. I mean, by which standard are they going to say that this isn't divine? And that's one of the interesting things that I think Scripture points out, and Peter picks up on too, is that you're just going to then elevate your own set of opinions, as uh, uh, Pastor Philippic said, and try to treat those as though they're divine, when in reality they're not. And, of course, the fruits of all those things are uh, death, hell, <laughs> damnation. But, yeah. 
Right, it's like the very source of evil. We, we talked last time a little bit about the, the archetypal theology versus the, the typal, that is, the, the God's divine imprint, like a, a ring placed into wax to leave, a, leave an impression there that is clear and certain, that without that, all you got really got is just a lump of, uh, of wax, right? So without God leaving his imprint, there is nothing here for us even to believe. The, the, the chaos reigns. Picking up and then on page 59 of Dr. Pieper, his Christian Dogmatics, Volume 1, uh, he goes on just to say this. He says, modern theology, is sort of what we were talking about here, flatly rejects the thesis, the statement, that the Christian doctrine is a divine doctrine and in no way a human doctrine, right? So it is, it is a modern thing, he says, for us today. We might say it's postmodern, but it's really both those things. It's a modern idea that God's Word, even the Scriptures and what they say, isn't really from God, it's also from humans. And you'll hear this from modern-day Christians today. They'll say something like, well, yeah, you know, I believe the Bible's true, but you got to remember the apostles, they were human, and they, they wrote it with, with their human hands. And so you got to take that into account as well. Well, Pieper kind of calls us what it is. It says, it must do this because it no longer believes that the Scripture is the Word of God. Once you go down that road and, tr- road and try to use the humanity of the apostles to say that therefore what they said must be questionable— now you have, in fact, questioned whether God can speak at all. Pieper goes on and says, When Luther requires the theologian to discard every thought that is not taken from the words of Scripture, and when the dogmaticians recognize only that teaching as Christian, which is the, the theology of the type, that is what we can find here, the reproduction of the Scripture doctrine, that is due to the fact that they, both Luther and the dogmaticians, regard Scripture as God's own word or as, I like this here, as God's mouth, right? That we have God's mouth working in the present through the text of Scripture itself. Pastor Philippe, you want first shot? Sure. In terms of the Word of God being the certainty and the very mouth of the Lord speaking. I mean, this is exactly what is often stated all throughout Scripture. You have the passages of Second Timothy, all Scripture is God-breathed. You have the passages of Second Peter, that nothing has been given except from God. No prophecy has ever been uttered by the mouth of man that has not been given by God. So there is an aspect of this that we might be able to say, sure, it's in the language and words of man. It's in in the experiences and the eyewitnesses of the apostles. But nothing that is there is not there other than because God has wanted it there and he has placed it there. So what's very interesting about even the way that that, uh, Scripture is, uh, in central, Scripture has one central message, and that is the revelation of Jesus Christ crucified and risen. These things, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing in him, you may have life in his name. And wouldn't you know it, Jesus being God and man, the same book that testifies to those, the external words of Scripture, are also divine. They are God-breathed, God-speaking yet also in the, uh, the language of man. And so it's interesting that the, that the two natures are also reflected in his book. 
But at the end of the day, this is still ultimately God's word, and the reformers saw it that way. That's what people say. Yeah, Pastor Bobby, this is kind of getting at what what I say every time there's a cross defense that, that we're committed to this belief that when God speaks, He does so in such a way that we can speak it back. Right? That that what comes out of God's mouth is so pure that it can even change things that are impure, like the minds and the hands of apostles, and and overcome that weakness with its own ongoing creative nature. If I if I can can say it that way. Anything else from that or in, in what we read so far that you had a thought from? Uh, yeah, just that, you know, when it is God's Word and it continues to be God's Word, then all those things are upheld. And that's, I think, the point that uh, Pieper's making by talking about Luther and the dogmaticians. And just like you said earlier, when you start moving away from that being God's mouth, from the Scripture's being uh, from God, God's Word, uh, then you lose all of that. You lose all of that. And I don't think that point is such an important point. I don't think people, even well-meaning Christians, really take to heart the implications of what happens when you start to hedge your bets on God's Word. This isn't either-or. This isn't a both-and. As soon as you start getting into both-and, ultimately, you'll lose the comfort of Christ, you'll lose the Gospel, and, um, and historically that's shown that you just start moving farther and farther away. Uh, from what God intends with his word. Right, so it starts by, by whittling away at a bit of scripture, and next thing you know, Jesus isn't really on the cross for you anymore. I, I want to make sure we pay attention to the next two sentences' footnotes, where he's going to give us some direct from the horse's mouth statements of the theologians he was engaging. He says, The modern theologians refuse to recognize scripture as God's word. They insist that the only scientifically correct method is to draw on, quote, the pious self consciousness of the theologizing individual. That is your opinion, right? Your, your pious opinion, but, but your opinion. Here's here's the quote, so he's pulling a, if you look at footnote 91 and 92, this guy, Nish Stefan, I, I, who I don't really know well, but he says this, in our day, the orthodox doctrine of inspiration has hardly any standing in dogmatics, right? So, yeah, poo-poo, you, you little Christians in your Bible fools, you know, if you're an idiot, if you really believe all that stuff. He says again in the next footnote, no one bases his dogmatics on the Norma Normans, the Bible, as was the fashion among the old Protestants. And then he's got a guy named Horst Stefan. He says, today the doctrine of inspiration is discarded by scientific theology. It has retained its old it's hold a strong one at that only in the theology of the layman. So, so for you, for you dumb non-pastors out there who are too stupid to understand how things really are, like the smart pastors who do scholarship, you know, you can go ahead and believe inspiration. But we, scientifically minded, well, we figured out it's all just kind of made up anyway, and it's really about your piety at the end of the day. I mean. Aside from the arrogance of it, which I'm kind of mocking very intentionally here, you guys, gentlemen, do you ever get like this? They they want to put all this emphasis on the natural piety of mankind to somehow figure out how to be good, and it's it's not just that they're rejecting the Bible or they're rejecting the cross; they're rejecting the sinful condition of mankind. This is characteristic, actually, of nineteen. 19- hundreds, um, you know, 20th century theology, just in capturing the fact that he's using words, things like scientific, and in terms of correct method of drawing things, of self-consciousness, of theological acu- individuals and actualizations of things. That, that language is very typical of Enlightenment thinking, rationalism, and 
also in, merged in here is a, a little bit of, of what the Church has always faced uh, coming out of, of the era of, of pietism. You have an interesting statement that in our day, uh, the Orthodox doctrine of inspiration hardly has any standing in dogmatis, right? And that no one would, would believe it or hold to it. Well, I'm sorry. That is what the Church throughout all of the ages has done. The Church... Uh, Catholic. I'm going to use that term. I don't mean Rome. I mean it as our um, Lutheran service book. Our LSV has the little asterisk next to it that says Catholic meaning universal, but rather just church throughout the ages. This is what you read in the early church fathers when you're talking about the Nicene Creed and, and the development of creeds, when you start talking about the norming Normans, when you're, when you're developing a concise confession, like the Church was, what does, what does this Church actually believe and confess? All of the Church Fathers ended up at, at these different points heading back to Scripture because they realized it's the only thing normative. We don't have anything true about ourselves. The only thing that is truth is the person and work of Jesus Christ. Notice Jesus says in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Truth is not a concept, it's not an abstract idea, it's not a, a thing by which we can test in any sort of a lab experiment or reproductive um, sort of technologies or anything like that that we do with, with actually trying to reproduce experiments time and time again. It's, History is never this way. History is a one-time occurrence in a very specific context. And what the Church has always recognized is in order to get back to truth, we have to go to the one who is truth, the one who is Christ Jesus our Lord, and the revelation of God in him. Now, Pastor Bobby, when, when he says that in our day, the Orthodox doctrine of inspiration has hardly any standing in dogmatics, I mean, isn't, isn't it that really a, an accurate description of American Christianity? Well, I mean, back in his day, I mean, maybe within academic circles, because academic circles are different than, I think, other circles in terms of how they, you know, evaluate truth and how they understand the world around them. And it's interesting how, how that works. Um, but it very well might have been the case. I mean, you're in the, in the throes of modernism. I think at this point, anybody who really is smart, at least by academic and popular standards, or people like Adam was saying are scientifically endowed with this capability of actually discerning the real truth over against myth and outdated dogmatics like he's referencing here. But I think, you know, if there's anything good you can say about postmodernism, one of the things that it does do is wields one hefty critique at modernism. You know, it's so interesting. I mean, I would think that even for people who are on the fence about Christianity, about Scripture, by golly, don't reject Scripture because of these arguments. They're stupid arguments. I mean, if the truth of Scripture comes down to being able to say, this is what God said is right, this is what's wrong, this is how you can uh, ascertain what is true and false through Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection, I mean, notice what they're doing. They're saying this, this critique that he's levying here and which many other people have variations of, like, look, you can't know for certain on the basis of that, but if you can know for certain on the basis of science, give me a break. I mean, the very nature of sin, this is what is so fit fantastic about Scripture and the way that it deals with the world. Like you said earlier, this passage and this kind of defense is, oh, no, human beings, I mean, you, you can trust your conscience, you can trust all of these things, but no, 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 sin in Scripture is us trying to make divine what isn't divine. I mean, this is 
this is the temptation of the devil in Genesis 3. You know, you will know good and evil. Um, and so that's exactly what you have going on. They're going to take something scientific and elevate that to the divine and do the very thing that Scripture says and fulfill what Scripture says sinful humankind is going to do, but then they're going to use that to reject Scripture? I mean, come on. I mean, this is, to me, this has always been a self-defeating argument. You want to say that there's no such thing as divine truth, but then you take scientific and you elevate it to that. Um, to me, this only upholds what Scripture is saying. But, you know, within that modern context, I'm sure that this was a, you know, a potent argument. Nobody wanted to look stupid and non-scientific, even though it's kind of absurd when you start actually evaluating the claims. Yeah, all, all those people back in the day, they, they were capable of error and, and, and certainly couldn't write down the truth. But I, well, at least in my life, I can figure it out for myself just fine. Thank you very much. Not so much, my friend. Cross Defense. We'll be right back. Concordia University, Wisconsin and Mequon overlooks a half mile of beautiful Lake Michigan shoreline. CUW campus is located 15 miles north of Milwaukee with over 70 undergraduate majors, 28 graduate degree programs, and doctorate programs in pharmacy, physical therapy, occupational therapy, and nursing practice. CUW offers online learning and accelerated learning at one of nine Wisconsin centers and one in St. Louis. Traditional or accelerated education, CUW has the program for you. CUW.edu. Concord Matters is a show seeking agreement in Christian confession. I'm Pastor Charles Henriksen, one of the hosts of Concord Matters, heard on Worldwide KFUO each Tuesday at 2 p.m. Central and a repeat on Saturday mornings at 10 a.m. Central. We take an in-depth look at the Book of Concord with some fine Lutheran theologians. Concord Matters, live on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. on Worldwide KFUO, the messenger of good news. Join Lutheran Immigration and Refugee Service and congregations across the country as we celebrate Refugee Sunday, a time to lift up the gifts that migrants and refugees bring to our country and to reflect on Christ's message to welcome the stranger. Together, we can continue the mission of welcoming, embracing, and empowering newcomers. Visit lirs.org kit to download the Refugee Sunday kit for your congregations, including worship guides, bulletin inserts, videos, and more. lirs.org kit. Hi, this is Matt Harrison, president of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. One of the treasures of the church is the many volunteers who give so freely of their time in service to others. St. Mark tells us that the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. To all who share the love of Christ by volunteering, I thank you on behalf of a grateful church. As you make the gospel known through word and deed, May the blessings of Christ abound in your congregations, in your neighborhoods, and throughout the world. Hey, listen to Cross Defense. Talking about the difference between God's mouth and my opinion about what happens to make sense to me today. Using Francis Pieper's Christian Dogmatics to do it with Pastor Adam Philpeck and Pastor Samuel Bobby here on Worldwide KFUO. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. We're picking up now at the very bottom of page 59 in volume one of the Dogmatics, where he continues... In the arguments of the modern theologians, these are the adversaries, these are those who question the trustworthiness of Scripture, he continues on and says, 
Thus, they do not base their theology on the objective divine truth. He's just quoted them saying as much that they don't, but on subjective human opinions, which, frankly, scientific observation has to fall into this route. And that's like the definition of scientific observation, right? It's it's not an orthodoxy that can never be questioned because the moment that it is, you can't test it. And the definition of science is knowledge that can be tested. And that's how we know to trust it because we can test it. Uh, that has produced, he goes on, the situation so aptly described by Luther in the well-known words which he has made the motto, uh, one of his mottos, they all have something to sell. <laughs> God, Luther's so refreshing. They all have something to sell. Their aim is not to reveal Christ in his mystery, but their own mystery. They think more of that than the mystery of Christ. Their own beautiful thoughts must not go to waste. Through them, they hope to convert even the devils while they have never yet converted a gnat. <laughs> yeah, G-N-A-T, gnat, a fly. And the worst of it is they do all the, all they do is pervert the truth. Peeper continues, naturally, everyone prefers his own brand. True enough. And so there is, in modern theology, no longer any unanimity of doctrine. He's not just talking about, the, you know, that, that people deny the doctrine that, that Lutheranism would teach, but that once they start doing that, they don't agree with each other anymore because they're all basically seeking their own opinion. It divides them at this point. And so there is a modern theology no any longer unanimity of doctrine. The moderns do not attempt to hide this situation. Recall the statement of Nietzsche Stefan. The unanimity in the acceptance of the principle that the Christian doctrine must not be taken from the Bible, but out of the pious self-consciousness is accompanied by, quote, uncounted divergencies of theological trends. That is to say, they're perfectly happy saying that we agree that the Bible's not true, and so we have pious opinions, and this is going to have divergencies. No big deal. Nor does modern theology deplore the chaotic condition that has resulted from the repudiation of the Scripture principle, right? So they actually think that that, that quote-unquote, diversity of chaos is a good thing. It has sunk so far below the Christian level that it prizes the divergent trends in theology as embellishments of the Christian church and brands the agreement in doctrine and faith, which Scripture clearly demands, as an abnormality, as a, quote, repristination of an outmoded theological position, right? So they can't agree about everything. They all teach whatever they feel like. And the only thing they disagree with is that the Scripture is trustworthy. And the only ones that are really set against then, except for each other all the time for no good reason, is anybody who would pipe up and say, but but doesn't the Bible say? Pastor Philippic, what struck your eye there? This whole section is drawn out from the initial thesis that, and I do think we see this, Jonathan, in our modern day, the modern theologians refuse to recognize Scripture exists as God's Word. And so we turn then to what to ourselves and what we think is true. We turn to our inner self and what we can know, what we can observe, what we can prove, what we can taste, touch, hear, see, and smell. And so in turning to those things, we often forget actually that, as you said at the beginning of this section, that the testability of one's claim and the, and the scientific um, experiments, if you will, are in and of themselves subjective. Here's what I mean by that. There are certain things that you can test repeatedly and so draw off thesis, but religion itself is not one of those things. Religion is not a deduction from one, what one knows. We know past events depend on the testimony of those 
who witnessed them. Historical events are uniquely singular. We can't run an experiment that, on them to verify what's true. So you've got this whole realm of knowledge and history and things that can't be repeated. But even in the repeatable experiments, what one brings to the table is, quite honestly, a worldview. When I step outside, and I've said this example before, I, when I step outside, I can look at the, at the sky and see that the color of the sky is blue on a sunny day. So I often ask people, including my catechumens, how do you know what color the sky is? You know, what color is the sky? They all say blue. I say, okay, great. Now, how do you know that the sky is blue? Because I can look up and see it. See, that's a testable, repeatable experiment. I can see it. I can taste it. I can touch it. I can hear it. I can see it. I can smell it. Time and time again, I can walk outside and there it is. But then I ask the question, the follow-up question, how do you know what blue is? And the answer is always the same. Somebody had to tell me what this actual blue color is so that when I look at it, I say, that's blue. And so it is with all of knowledge. All of knowledge, all of life, it requires some degree of faith. That is, trust in someone else's word. At the end of the day, it all comes down to trust in somebody else's word. And so I find it highly ironic that we reject in this text, looking at something so divine and so straightforward as this is the objective truth in God's word and say, oh, no, no, it can't be known that way. Here's how it can be known by us and our word and looking in on ourselves, by simply what we see and observe. Trust me. I mean, this is nothing more than the proportion of centuries of idolatry, quite honestly. That's, that's really what it is. It's just crass idolatry. I am the center of my truth. I am the center of my, lo- my life. I get determined to determine what's true and what's false in my life. But the fact of the matter is, even if you reject absolute truth, saying there is no such thing as truth, you've already given an absolute. Believe me, what I'm saying is absolutely true. I think it's pretty amazing, though, you know, idolatry in the self, that they even called it, and he says this in the next sentence, ego theology. Like They chose that name for themselves. I mean, it's like, really? You know, how humble of you. Pastor Bobby, I hear you chuckling, but I want to go back a half a sec, and I know that you are one who's definitely read more philosophy than me in terms of the first sources, the original sources, and, and, and you're more versed with some of the, the coming and flowing of arguments of philosophy. So what do you make of this, then, when they when he, he says, you know, without Scripture, you end up in chaos. Is that what you find in the world of philosophy, is just everyone with their own opinion and, and not everyone listening to each other or finding any unanimity, that the, that the opinions drive a greater d- divorce between everybody than they do in terms of uniting? Yeah, I mean, it's this is difficult, right? Because anytime you take a, well, I'll say it like this. I know a lot of people who know a lot about philosophy, but who don't necessarily do a lot of philosophy. <laughs> um, and what I mean by that is they, they know a lot about the actual, the history of it, this person and that person and the progression historically of how ideas develop and then responses and all of that. And it's different than actually making uh, philosophical claims, but in either case, I mean, those claims do create a lot of, um, yeah, if you want to say chaos, you have these competing ideas about what it means to know something or what it means to be, right? These different philosophical categories. And of course, a philosophical claim that, depending on how you want to say, you know, define proven was, 
was true. Like Hegel was the man when Hegel was around. But then later it's like, okay, we don't believe anything Hegel said now. That was that was uh, off point. But, yeah, you see a lot of change. You see a lot of, um, yeah, people just kind of responding, which I love uh, the quote that he uses from Luther. Everyone's got something different to sell. And I think when you look at things historically and philosophers within their context, they always do have something that they're selling. They're responding to something. They're trying to achieve certainty. But this is more of a reflection of them and their circumstances than it is of the truth. Yeah, their aim is not to reveal Christ, but to reveal their own mystery. Their own beautiful thoughts <laughs> must not go to waste, he says. It's, I love uh, it. It was great. It's, he is always refreshing. So the beautiful thought that Peeper is having to engage is this idea that we have to understand ego theology. The next paragraph goes on to talk more about this. In fact, he says... Peep is Peeper now. He has been called, uh, er, this arrogant professor Hoffman has been called by some the father of ego theology in the Lutheran Church of the 19th century. Uh, the Leipzig Theologicus Lit, oh, my German so bad, Literaturblatt, edited by Emels, said in its issue of December 8, 1922, Hoffman, this gentleman who, who kind of defined ego theology for the Lutheran Church, and still more Frank, have come out squarely for the principle of the self assurance of Christianity and its theology, right? So how do I know what is true? I find it within me. That's the answer. As the all-sufficient source of religious knowledge. Hoffman tells the theologian that in studying and presenting the Christian doctrine, he must, for the time being, completely ignore not only what the church has taught, but also what the teaching of Scripture is. He must train the theological ego to form its doctrinal conclusions in exclusive independence. And again, so why is Pieper doing this? I mean, what he's trying to show is that that the, the direction that theology goes, when you un unhinge it from Scripture, it's to the point where you're willing to make these kinds of statements with a straight face. I mean, yeah, he's he's picking the worst of the worst, and it's not because it's like hard to undo their position from our position, but he wants to show how even a little small shift at the start ends with a pretty radical place, right? I mean, think about this again. I'm going to read some of these, these words again because they're just gnarly. The principle of self-assurance is an all-sufficient source of religious knowledge? I mean, that's that's cuckoo, right? That, that's just cuckoo, right? That, that, that uh, you must not listen to the church or scripture, but first train yourself in independence? I mean, how is this in any way a pursuit of understanding? How is this in any way a pursuit of wisdom? Forget Christianity for a second. This is a pursuit of insanity to have my own opinion that no one can ever question or challenge this is narcissism and yet i mean I, how much do we not find ourselves in a spiritual crisis as a country and as a culture and as a civilization where this has been taken root and grown and is now bearing fruit far beyond the schools of the scientific theologians i mean this is just the way people think today right i mean what are we to make of that Pastor Philippek, got a response? I do, and it actually draws on what was said by Luther earlier. They have something to sell. This is this is Paul in Second Corinthians. All Luther's doing is echoing Paul in Second Corinthians chapter two, who says, We are not like so many people, peddlers of the word of God, but as sincere men, as commissioned by God in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. 
In Paul's day, you had the same thing going on. Second Corinthians 2.17, you had people who were coming along and saying, Oh, I know. This has been revealed to me. This is all about what I have received and how much I know. And First John chapter 4 has some very interesting words to say about revelation and testing the spirits and what we can know about ourselves and, and how we know what we know and things of the sort. But you made a comment about wisdom. How is this wisdom? And so often in our culture, we think wisdom is the putting to use of information and ideas that we have learned to somehow arrive at a understanding and have an understanding from which to speak that everyone else looks at us and says, oh, this guy knows something. Again, it's all idolatry. It's the sin, as Bobby said, of Adam and Eve. And being the sin of Adam and Eve, it follows the same sort of format. You will be like God. But notice how Scripture speaks of wisdom. Jews demand signs, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Greeks seek wisdom. To know all this information, put it to use, all this sort of stuff. We preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews, foolishness to the Gentiles. But us two are being saved. Christ is the power and the, get this, wisdom of God. Wisdom is not a collection of ideas. Wisdom is not putting knowledge to use. Wisdom is a person, and his name is Jesus Christ, Son of God. Pastor Bobby, thoughts? Yeah, um, kind of following up with that, you know, Colossians 2, 8. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of this world, and not according to Christ. Um, I like the language of, of captive there. It's very interesting. I heard, because uh, all this ego talk, it makes you wonder, okay, you can't put authority in Scripture, um, and even the ego stuff tends to even argue against you know, the scientific method in that that's only true to the degree that you can internalize it and build it on the basis of your own ego. Um, there was a philosopher once who talked about how when it all comes back to you, you're skeptical of everything except the things that you can just know personally. Well, what grounds do you have to believe in your own self? I mean, ultimately, it is just dogmatism, not dogmatics, but dogmatism in the sense that I have no reason to believe this except that I'm stating it without any proof at all. Uh, and, of course, as uh, Luther said earlier, this reveals the mystery of the self more than the mystery of the Christ. And the mystery itself is really just sin. <laughs> like, we're trying to work out our own justification, and we're building it on completely dogmatic grounds and rejecting the only life-giving word that we have. Whereas the fruit of our mysteries and our pontifications lead to death, uh, the story of Christ in Scripture, on the other hand, goes from death to life, from death to resurrection. And um, on the basis of that, I mean, you want to talk about superiority of stories, you want to talk about the superiority of Scripture, I mean, look at what Scripture does for us as compared to every philosophy and empty deceit of human tradition. The pontifications of the ivory tower of the human mind, selling all that it has to sell, only leads you into a morass of misunderstanding, confusion, division, and at the end of the day, saying nothing at all. Cross defense. We'll be right back. A long-standing tradition at Worldwide KFUL is to broadcast two live worship services Sunday mornings for those unable to attend worship or for those who benefit from hearing God's Word online or on KFUL. 
From Trinity Lutheran Church in Edwardsville, Illinois, Pastor John Shank is senior pastor with the early worship service at 8 a.m. The live late divine service at 1045 comes from Village Lutheran Church in Ladue, Missouri, where the Reverend Dr. Kevin Golden presides as senior pastor. Hear the message of mercy and forgiveness Sunday mornings on Worldwide KFUO. Proverbs 27, 17 tells us, Iron sharpens iron, and one man sharpens another. That's why weekday mornings at 8 a.m., two Missouri Synod pastors test their mettle against the Holy Scriptures, certain that not only will they come out better for it, but so will you. The sword of the Spirit is sharp to the touch, but you need practice wielding it. Check out Sharper Iron, 8 a.m., every weekday on Worldwide KFUO. From President's Park, it's the National Christmas Tree Lighting. Since 1923, the President of the United States has participated in the lighting of the National Christmas Tree in Washington, D.C. But what many people do not know is that our 30th President, Calvin Coolidge, began the tree lighting tradition as a symbol of America's faith. Calvin Coolidge was named for the 16th century reformer John Calvin. In his autobiography, Coolidge described his ancestors as English Puritan stock. He wrote, they cherished the teachings of the Bible and sought to live in accordance with its precepts. When President Coolidge died in 1933, guests at his funeral sang, Lead Kindly Light. It's a hymn whose lyrics are inspired by the Bible in Exodus 13:21, Psalm 43:3, and Jesus' words in John 8:12, "I am the light of the world." Brought to you by Museum of the Bible in Washington D.C. The spiritual crisis of the present age, the narcissism of the postmodern mind, it all comes back to the same issue that Dr. Pieper is certainly driving home with good reason, that we have one way, one way of knowing what God thinks, and that is for God to actually tell us what he thinks. And once we've rejected that, all that, mora- all that remains is the chaos of our own selling of ourselves as if if that's really substance but we live in again in an age and a culture we're selling self i mean that's that's all we have left talking with pastor adam Philippek and pastor samuel body bobby here on cross defense i'm your host pastor jonathan fisk we're in francis peepers christian dogmatics and we're a little bit in the weeds here but it's i mean he, he really is demonstrating the point from the horse's mouth we have another quote this one from uh, Hoffman, a theologian named Hoffman, in a particular uh, article that he wrote, and it's an extended quote here in which he's trying to sound really churchy as he also talks about having nothing to do with the church. He says this, he says, after God has established relations with a man in Christ, the believer is on his own. Now, you heard that right, right? God comes and he brings you into Christ and then he just kind of lets you go. Yeah, that is to say that after he has been brought into communion with God, and now he'll say, and only within the church which has the scriptures can this be affected, right? So so faith first comes from scripture, but after this, his relationship with God no longer depends on the church nor on scripture. 
to which the church appeals. It does not look to the church nor to scripture for the primary and real confirmation of its truth, but rests in itself and has immediate assurance of truth. So whenever you're doubting, whenever you're struggling, whenever you're you're having a hard day, go sit in a dark corner and look deep within the confines of your heart and you'll find God there. It'll all be great. Don't worry about it. Go, Go do that. Have fun, right? The ego has within itself the spirit of God to certify the truth. That sounds very nice, very pious, but no, it's deadly, dangerous. Again, a long quote here, continuing on. Accordingly, in giving expression to the truth, the ego must remain the only source. No, I disagree. (laughs) Uh, Let it speak for itself, Hoffman continues, unaffected and undisturbed by anything whatever that lies outside itself, that is outside ourselves. Me, 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 me. And though... That which is outside us stands in close relation, yea, in a causal relation to that which is in within us. And though it proves to be the very same truth, that's, he's actually talking in Scripture, though. And even though you might find that Scripture says what you decide to believe on your own, nevertheless, that which is within us, what I decide to believe on my own, must be permitted to perform its function in exclusive independence, that is, without Scripture. To be sure, under normal conditions, that which Scripture in the church offers will be the same as we have found in ourselves, right? So when you go f- find that dark corner to hide in, you're going to find what scripture says. It's just what's going to happen. It sounds pretty uh, hopeful to me, a blind hope. And it is our business to show this agreement, he goes on. Now, Pieper does have a comment on this, that these last statements of Hoffman seem to indicate that he is willing to revise the product of the ego in accordance with a scriptural norm. And there's more paragraph here. We'll kind of maybe come back to that in a moment. There are others who take him to task for this, saying, well, no, 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 you you shouldn't even say that scripture will find what the ego says. The ego is all that you really should proceed after and should chase after. Now, guys, you know, for me, as, as a man who has in my life struggled with despair and depression, I can't imagine a more abhorrent gospel than the one which is that, well, now that you're a believer in Christ, go find God in your heart somewhere in the corner. Whenever you're doubting, seek within, because all I find there, again, is is darkness. Darkness. Thoughts? This is antithetical to Christianity. What I mean by that is it's, it's, it's not even remotely close to what God has revealed to us in his word. We'll sort of set this up with First John chapter 4, what I mentioned earlier. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many of false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. And the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming now and coming to the world already. And John is phrasing this that you want to know how and what Christianity is about. It's about Jesus Christ crucified and risen for the forgiveness of sins. These things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, that by believing in him you may have life in his name. That's the summary of John's gospel. If I could give, you know, Christians often, what's the gospel in a nutshell? Where you go to John 3.16, for God so loved the world. If you want sort of the, the scripture, if you will, in a nutshell, John chapter 20, 31. These things are written that you may believe. So the whole sum totality of scripture is about Christ crucified and risen for the forgiveness of sins. And what's one of the, the chief things that he says to his disciples? 
As the Father has sent me after the resurrection, so I also now send you. And with that, he breathes on them and says, Forgive, if you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold forgiveness, they are, it is withheld. And he says to them, Go therefore and baptize all nations, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey every other thing I've commanded you. And lo, you're on your own, as often says. No, Lord, I am with you always to the end of the age. Christ has tied his presence to the church. Christ has said, wherever my word is preached, wherever baptism happens, wherever those words of the apostles are spoken, I forgive you all your sins, wherever you receive the body and blood of Christ, you can be certain that I am with you always to the end of the age. So to turn in on yourself and to say, Lord, where are you in this? Is and I, to, to tongue in cheek here, Jonathan. I know a guy who wrote a book on this called Broken once. Huh. Um, <laughs> to turn it on yourself is to end up in despair. It is to end up looking for God where He has promised that He is not. He hasn't promised to be in a rainbow or a sunshine and whatever sign you ask for. In fact, a wicked and adulterous generation looks for signs, but no sign will be given it but the sign of Jonah. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the earth, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the belly of the earth. Right? As Jonah was in the fish, the Son of Man is, is, is there. And so he says at the very end, in many of Hebrews 1, many in various ways God spoke to his people of old by the prophets. Now in these last days he's spoken to us, us to his son. So to divorce ourselves from the church is actually to lose the certainty that God loves us, forgives us, and is with us always, and will raise us up on the last day, because we lose his word and sacraments where he's promised to be. Amen, amen. Bobby, got a thought? Yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that you hear in this quotation this kind of sinful pattern, demonic pattern that you saw back then, that you see it even today, but this kind of reoccurring optimism, right, with the self. I mean, where does that come from? I mean, you'll hear in literary circles how they talk like after World War One, this is just kind of shattered. But it's not as though it goes away. I mean, we still have this reoccurring optimism all the time. I mean, you go into a Barnes and Nobles and you look at the self-help section. I mean, you can literally help yourself, they say. Um, you know, and you think of all the kind of ther- therapeutic methods that we approach, um, all kinds of things in our lives whether it's, you know, medicinal stuff or whether it's uh, spiritual, but, you know, this idea of helping ourselves. And it, and it is this recurring optimism. There is this lie that is peddled by the devil, by our culture, by our sinful nature, that we can somehow fix ourselves and we can trust ourselves. And that's very contrary uh, to what, what Scripture says. You know, there, there's not fixing. I mean, Jesus came to die on the cross because there's death uh, and there's resurrection, not because there's fixing. But it is interesting how you kind of get insight into that kind of, you know, it's, it probably sounds terrible to people who are outside of, of Scripture say, well, how, you shouldn't be optimistic. Well, you can find optimism in Christ. We call that hope. <laughs> but outside of that, what you're going to find is, is false optimism and, and despair. And the worst kind of despair is when you find that, that the false gods in which you're trusting, the idolatry that you're trusting, in this sense, the ego, um, when it fails you. Yet there's nothing else that you can do, and you have to keep opening something that you know is going to fail. And that's the very, the very depths of despair, and that's what this kind of reoccurring optimism that you see demonstrated, I think, in this quotation. That's the, that's the kind of um, consequence that you get. That uh, Referring to optimism there, I mean, that's what we now define the word faith to mean, I think, culturally speaking. Oh, like, yeah. Not in the church, but in the culture. When people say faith, they really mean optimism, don't they? 
Yeah, I think oftentimes they do. This is like the cult of nice. I took a picture in my kids' grade school, um, and it said uh, there's a big sign in the office. Um, I wasn't there to drop something off. My kids weren't actually in the office or anything. But, I mean, at any rate, it said, be nice. <laughs> That's literally what big words, you know, because uh, I don't know if it's because they have no other resources that they go to. Obviously, they can't go to Scripture in some sort of bigger narrative. But, yeah, I think so. I think oftentimes faith in Christianity means be nice. Sometimes I'll get confirmation kids uh, early on. They'll be they'll ask them, you know, what is sin? And it's being mean. You know, what does Jesus come for? Be nice. They get that. So Hoffman goes and, on and... Oh, go ahead, go ahead. I was saying the same culture that purports that we can look inside of ourselves and know the truth and that denies that the law of God is written on our hearts is the same one who produces the great 1930 work of children. I mean, Bob was talking about literature. Platt and Monk produce a book, and we all love it, the little engine that could. Hmm. Right? And you read this to a child, and what's the little engine that could's default framework? I can't. So what does he have to keep telling himself? What has the world fed him? I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. Because a child knows that they can't. I, I'm not anything strong or big. I'm not anything that's of, of great stature in the eyes of the world. I, I'm, I'm just a small little child. And so we breed into the children, I think I can, I think I can, and think I can. Unless you turn, Jesus says, and become like children to the disciples who are relying on themselves to get into the kingdom of God, unless you turn and become like children. You want to talk about greatest. Now, they're arguing about the greatest. Put the child in their midst. Unless you turn and become like this child, you won't even get in. Unless you are fully and utterly dependent upon me, my words, my life, my salvation, my death, my resurrection for you. You have no chance of the kingdom of God. So I find it highly ironic that our culture in one sense appeals to one standard and then champions another at the same time. I want to go ahead here and, and commit the sin of meanness by, by making us talk a little more about what you just pointed out here, the, the little the little modern theologian that could story, and how, how hard it probably is for us as Christian people in the present moment to, to maybe even reckon with the danger that's inherent in that story. And... Don't get me wrong. Like, I want to teach my children that hard work and uh, a focused belief that they're capable of what they've practiced can help them overcome things. I mean, when my child Indeed. says, uh, you know, I'm not good at math, I say, don't tell yourself that. That's a lie. Like, math is math is just what makes sense, and you just need to practice it. You'll be fine at it with a little practice. So you can do it. So there's some truth there. When this becomes the undergirding substance of everything else you believe, that if I just try hard, I can, now we're in a very different place, and, and that's where we are as a, as a people. I don't mean you and me, period. I mean people in the Western Hemisphere of this planet. That is the driving belief, is that if I, try, if I believe it hard enough, I can do it. And now, it's not just a children's story about doing your math. Right now, now it's the devil's own teaching, and, and what a dangerous thing! Uh, you want to come back at me, uh, Pastor Philippek? I don't. I think that the the little engine that could is a wonderful book that, if used properly, we can speak about things in terms of how we work in this world. 
But if you cross and unilaterally apply that to salvation, then we're going to have a problem here because it's either I'm dependent upon my own works, and if Christianity depends upon you, if your entry into heaven depends upon you, then how actually dependable are you? Did you take out the garbage this week as you had promised your parents? Did you refrain from gossip this week? Did you waste time on Fruit Ninja and Angry Birds at work? Did you, you know, be linked? And you can go, Satan can, can play this whole game. Unless you are perfect like your heavenly father is perfect, you don't deserve to get in. And that's what the rich man pleads, right? In Mark chapter 10, all these have done since I was a boy. And Jesus says you lack one thing. Go sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. He walks away sad because he has an idol. He has riches and money. He thinks he, that is the, the sum totality of his life. The disciples look at that and say, if that guy's going, not getting in, then there's no hope for us. And Jesus says, with man, yes, it is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And so when we come to, to Christ's presence, it works wholly differently than our sinful, idolatrous nature might think. So teaching a child hard work um, is, is important, and they need to apply themselves. That's just good stewardship, right? Our confessions say this, that good works are necessary in the large catechism. The good, that good works are necessary, that the creed is in place so that we can do the works that God has given us to do. But it never says they're necessary for salvation, and that's the difference. We don't bring our works before God. We serve one another in love as our Lord Jesus Christ has has served us by his death and resurrection. Pastor Bobby, with just a minute left here, I, I want to give you kind of closing thoughts on the hour, and you can feel free to point out that Pastor Philippic did call playing Fruit Ninja a sin, or you can talk about something else. <laughs> what did that was a tacit confession. <laughs> that's right, that's right. So, cl- closing thoughts on the hour. Um, no, I think uh, Pastor Phyllis Peck is absolutely right, you too. I mean, there is a tension there with this idea of of, a, of just a, a good principle of perseverance. I mean, there's nothing wrong with that. But, of course, for the Christian and for the good Christian parent, you want to put that within the larger contents, the Scripture of everything that God has done for us through Christ uh, that we hear about in His Word. Um, the problem is is when something like, you know, I think I can, I think I can, becomes one of the primary principles, one of your major premises for how you kind of conduct your life in general, and you're setting yourself up for either pride or despair, and in either case, um, it's, it's certainly not the gospel. It is certainly not uh, the truth that God would have for you. And we're back to, I mean, what I've kind of been thinking, theological prostitution, selling mm-hmm. of ourselves uh, via uh, trading our own mysteries and for the mystery of Christ. Pastor Samuel Bobby is pastor at St. Paul's Lutheran Church in Aberdeen, South Dakota. Pastor Adam Philippeck at Holy Cross Lutheran Church and Emmanuel Lutheran Church, both in Lidgerwood, North Dakota. Again, in North Dakota, South Dakota, a Dakota show today. I'm your host, Pastor Jonathan Fisk. You're listening to Cross Defense. Thanks, gentlemen, for being with me today. Thank you. Thank you. It cannot be emphasized enough, this ongoing reality. You either are standing by yourself in a chaos of darkness, shouting into it, I am the light, and having nothing really come of it beyond your own self-deception, or you are having a light shine upon you from the outside into that darkness to change that reality into a totally different one. That's the distinction between Christianity and the religion of the world. And you only find it in that light outside of you, the man, Jesus Christ, who he is, what he's done. We'll catch you next week on Cross Defense. Rock on.
You've been listening to Cross Defense, produced by Worldwide KFUO, the official broadcast ministry of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. Your support is vital for this program to continue. To learn about giving opportunities, call Mary at 314-996-1518. Or you can make a gift safe, secure, and easily online at kfuo.org. Thank you for listening and supporting Cross Defense on Worldwide KFUO.